we've been studying about, uh, we've been studying the life of Noah and had a great series of, about Noah and what his faith looked like, his faith in action, building the ark. What a strange thing to be doing in your community, suddenly building an ark. But in obedience to God, he did that. Um, and uh, we closed the series on Noah um, last week. And we're going to let him and his ark float away. And, and we're going to pick up with, uh, with Abraham and Abraham's faith in Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 8. We're going to pick up with, with that. But his story really begins in Genesis. Um, his story begins in Genesis. And so we're going to take a look at some of the promises that were given to him and the commands that were given to him uh, from God. We're going to trace those and uh, look at what his faith looked like and what we can learn from it. Okay, the title of my sermon is Citizens in Heaven. And I, didn't, I didn't put it up there on the slide, but Citizens in Heaven. I want you to think about that, especially, especially during this time of uh, turmoil in the United States of America um, in, a, in a divided nation. I want you to remember that you are citizens in heaven first. Okay, I think this is a very timely topic for today in light of everything going on. Okay, so his story, Abraham's story, picks up in Genesis 12, 1 to 5. Um, and I'm sure you're aware that, uh, that his name was Abram before, and God um, called him Abraham, father of many, um, later on. And so when I talk about um, Abram, I'll be referring to him as uh, Abraham, um, at the name you're probably used to seeing. So, so let's pick up in verse 1 to 5. Um, I'm only going to get a snapshot of his story because I'm only going to read a snapshot in Hebrews of one aspect of his faith, and I'll let, uh, leave the rest for Brian uh, to tackle. So we're going to look at the story, just a small portion of it, in Genesis 12, 1 to 5. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in, all, in you all the families of earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. Now, that's the part of Abram's life that I want to focus on today uh, when I talk about being citizens in heaven and setting our eyes on heaven. Um, so I found out you know, how far his journey was, uh, Abraham, um, in his lifetime. So you can get a little context when God said, go to Canaan. In his lifetime, uh, he traveled from Ur 700 miles to the borders of present-day Iraq, another 700 miles into Syria, another 800 miles down to Egypt, um, and uh, by the inland road, and then back into Canaan, which is now Israel. Um, so you add it all up, and you're at uh, 1,400 plus 3,200 miles, and so, give you a little context, 2,200 miles. Thanks, Brian. You're like, hey, do the math right. If you, if you, do, if you look at, if you were to walk from Vermont to Florida, it's, it's around 1,400 miles. So, uh, so 1,400 miles. So, it would be like, 
you picking up, going, going, walking to Florida with all your stuff and all your relatives and, and all your cattle and taking care of your animals along the way, and then turning back and going halfway back. So it's far. It's a far journey um, that Abraham was called to, uh, to go on. And imagine that you are Abraham, uh, and you had to convince your family of a few things, okay? You had to go home to your spouse and tell them that God is going to make you the father of many nations, okay? At 75 years old, and your wife is past childbearing years, and uh, you're saying, okay, God's going to make me the father of a whole nation, okay? Uh, and he's going to be giving me a land that's not mine. It's owned by somebody else in Canaan. It's defended by the, by the people in Canaan. So it's not mine yet, but he's going to give it to me. And God's going to bless the entire earth through me. Okay? And he's also going to curse people who curse me. So, I mean, that'd be a hard conversation to have. I don't think that Ren would really uh, go for that one. Hopefully not. Um, but that's, it's, it's an interesting thing to think about what it really would have meant to have to go and tell your relatives around around the land, what, what the deal was, and they're going to come with you. Uh, I, I kind of relate it to like, okay, I'm going to win the lottery, and why don't you guys pack up? I got to go take over this place first. I'm going to win the lottery and, you know, bless the world with the money, and your relatives are convinced and are going to go with you. Um, but obviously, he's going to say, God told me, and God, God promised these things, okay? Um, so that, that's kind of the gravity of when God said go, kind of what it meant, and that's what we're going to focus on. You know, Abraham did obey and go, so how? Like, where did that faith come from? Okay, so we're going to flash forward some thousands of years um, to the book of Hebrews in the Hall of Faith chapter that we've been studying. And we're going to look back, which looks back on Abraham's decision to obey God, pack up, and go to the land of promise. And uh, again, I want, to, I want to see why he was able to do that and how we can have a similar attitude in our lives. So Hebrews 11:8 to 10 is where we are now. Hebrews 11, verses 8 to 10. Starting in verse 8. By faith, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was re- to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to a city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Now I want to unpack each phrase in these verses. So we have three Three verses, these are the focus of my sermon today, and I want to go basically a couple of words through a couple of words. So uh, Brian's going to be putting up this chunk of verses up again, and it'll have the chunk that I'm going to focus on for each part. So we're going to go through each part, unpack it, and what it means. So the first part, by faith. Okay, um, and we, we have looked at in our series what faith is as defined in Hebrews, um, but let's look at it again. Faith is believing what God says. I've heard Brian say that. It is believing in his word, even though we have not seen Jesus face to face. 
Hebrews defines faith in 11.1 as the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. We've talked about how faith is expressed through obedience in our study of Noah. And Abraham's faith is, a, is another type. It's just like the faith of Noah. And as an individual follower of Jesus, your witness joins the witnesses of those in this so-called Hall of Faith chapter. Um, let's, look at, uh, let's look at Hebrews 12, 1-2, and I'm going to look at the phrase, Abraham obeyed. Abraham was able to obey God because his sight was on the promised land. Okay? It was not on his surroundings. Hebrews 12, 1-2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. In Abraham's faith, his life was going in one direction until God called him and set a purpose on his life. And then God worked with Abraham to accomplish this purpose. And the same is true with us. Jesus is the one who founded our faith. And he's the one who works to make our faith stronger. And we are to set our eyes on him if we are to walk in faith. We are able to run with endurance, cast off sin in our lives, only when we set our eyes on Jesus, the one who founded our faith and the one who makes it stronger. He is the founder and perfecter of our faith. Okay, the phrase, he was called to go out. To a place. I want to look at that next. I'll ask you a few questions. Who has called us out? Who has called us out of darkness? Jesus Christ. Who has set a new trajectory in our lives? Jesus Christ. Who has planned the good works for us to walk in today? Jesus Christ. Ephesians 12, sorry, Ephesians 2.10. And I'm reading from the ESV version today, um, but you can read from whatever version uh, fits. Um, So, Ephesians 2.10. We are his workmanship. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. So God has prepared a purpose for our lives beforehand that we should walk in them. Okay, the next phrase that he was able to receive as an inheritance. Abraham was given an inheritance that he did not earn. He didn't work for the land of Canaan. He, didn't, he wasn't special in his faith beforehand. He did nothing to earn this promised land whatsoever. It wasn't his good character. It wasn't, you know, he wasn't special. 
The same is true for us. Who makes us a child of God that we should receive heaven and the riches of a relationship with the Almighty God as our great inheritance? Again, Jesus Christ. We do not get credit for the land that is promised to us in heaven and for the relationship. God is the one that came in that we should receive him. And the giver of such a great gift that we are to receive is Jesus. We look at Ephesians 1.11 for our evidence of this. Ephesians 1.11. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. I see that similar language, the inheritance waiting for us And it was by the purpose of God. He chose to give us this inheritance. Next phrase, back in Hebrews 12. um, The next phrase, uh, sorry, Hebrews 11. In, um, let's see, and he went out not knowing where he was going. I want to focus on that part of it. And I want to, I want us to consider the question, who knew where he was going? If Abraham didn't, it was God. Who knows everything from the beginning and the end? Who has numbered the stars and has counted the hairs on our head? Who is never surprised when we stray off from the mission and our purpose? Who shepherds us and disciplines us and is aware of all of our steps from the time we wake up to the time we go to sleep? Who is there in our greatest future sorrow and our greatest future joy on this earth and our greatest joy in the next? Jesus Christ. I'm going to look at Matthew 10, 29 to 31. When the disciples were afraid um, before Jesus was going to be crucified, afraid they would be left alone um, that, that comes up later, but uh, in, uh, in Matthew 10, 29 to 31, we get some comfort looking at how careful God is with his creation. All of his creation um, are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of great, are more value than many sparrows. Proverbs 16.9 says, I'm going to look at God knowing our steps. I want to look at God um, planning and being aware of, of each step in our lives for these next couple of verses. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. And Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. In Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. And thinking about that, thinking about the world that we live in, the world that is a lot of darkness in our world Well, we have a Savior that walks with us, that walks before us, behind us, beside us, 
and his word lights our way in the darkness. That's how much he cares for us. And as we walk to that promised land that we haven't seen yet, but we have the faith that it is there for us through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross, we can walk in some pretty dark times uh, before we get there and some joys as well. Um, But God is with us through it all. Uh, Back to Hebrews 11. I want to look at a a bigger phrase here. Um, By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs of the same promise. So um, I was just looking at my commentary in my Bible, and I want to read a quote from that about this land of Canaan, the promised land. Um, So, okay, I'll just read it. Neither Abraham, Isaac, nor Jacob were able to settle permanently or possess the land of Canaan, that promised land that God had promised to them. Abraham first went there in faith, and they all lived there in faith, believing in a promise of possession that would not be fulfilled for many generations beyond their lifetime. They were looking ahead to a land of promise, and it was credited to them. You know, it's a picture of heaven waiting for that. And I want to ask you a question, especially pertinent to our times. What is our land of promise? What is our land of promise? Good answer. Is our land, I'm going to go through a few questions just to think about, is our land of promise, Wilmington, Vermont, with its quaint Vermont shops, rocky rocky, trouty rivers, that's how I put it, Liquid gold maple syrup and ruggedly independent people? Not quite. Is our land of promise, and this is a big question for today, is our land of promise the United States of America? Is the United States of America the land God promised to us to be ours for all of eternity? As America rises and falls, does God's promise to us rise and fall? Is America God's chosen land of future? I hope you answer no. Our hope is not in our government, the people, um, this land. If you look at the course of human history, uh, you know, there are, there are a lot of places that lasted a lot more time than America has been around. Um, when you think of your ancient history, places that people never thought would fall, you know, the fall of Rome, never thought would happen, happen. Places are not permanent. It's not the place. It's not this building, right? You know, we are the church. We are the, we are the global church together, coming together. And our hope is not in the temporary, right? And uh, let's, let's bring that message to the world um, during this time especially of, of fighting for identity. You know, uh, as it was put last night, fighting for the soul of America, we know what that is, right? We know that America does not have a soul, okay? God has created each one of us with a soul, and he is fighting for us to be in a relationship with us. And we do not have to um, put our hopes there. And, and so, therefore, we go forth in victory. The victory has been won on the cross. Amen. Yes. Let's look at the phrase, as in a foreign land. I'm excited to look at this one. 
It is a foreign land that was promised to Abraham. That's how it was put. It's a foreign land. Think about that. And a foreign land is promised to us. We are actually citizens of a foreign land. In heaven. And therefore, we are foreigners and aliens wherever we find ourselves. 1 Peter 2.11. I have, I have some different uh, versions I'm going to read to you. Some of them I have no idea what the, what the letters stand for. But uh, I like some different words in there that I want to read. So I'm going to start out with the ESV. This is 1 Peter 2.11. ESV. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Now, I want to read from a couple of versions. I have no idea what they stand for. Maybe some of you do. The CEB. Anybody? <laughs> Never heard of it. But they use the words immigrants and strangers. I like that. So we are to consider ourselves in this, in this world immigrants and strangers. Uh, the NIV put it foreigners and exiles in this land. And the CJB, drawing a blank on what that is either, but uh, puts it as we are aliens and temporary residents of this land. I like how each one kind of brings a fuller picture to who we are as citizens of, of not the United States, as citizens of heaven. Um, let me put a little contrast on that. Let's look at Ephesians 2.19. I want to I shake things up a little bit. See if the Bible contradicts itself. Ephesians 2.19. It's a little like, wait, hold on a second. Paul writes, Therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens of the saints and members of God's household. So wait, we're not strangers and foreigners anymore. What Paul is talking about is at one time, anybody who wasn't Jewish from the Old Testament was considered a stranger and a foreigner to God's promises. God was not our God at that time. We were without hope before Christ. We were without hope, without the promise given to us. And we were foreigners. We were outcasts. We were outsiders, not welcome, not having access to heaven. Until Jesus, and then we became sons and daughters, the very sons and daughters of God, right? So we are sons and daughters, no longer foreigners to heaven, but in, in being there, you know, in getting our passport there through Jesus Christ, we become foreigners to the world and its ways. So it's a weird contrast that at the same time we become, we're no longer foreigners, we become foreigners to the world. And we, look, and we are awful strange. Uh, I, have co- I have conversations with my coworkers frequently these days. And, uh, and we, we look awful strange in this world. We, we're, and we're going to stand out more and more as time goes on. Um, and we're going to look stranger and stranger. I hate to tell you that. But get used to it. First <laughs> uh, Peter 1.17. I want to continue this, this look um, about this type of who we are to this world. First Peter 1.17 
Since you call on a father who judges each one's work impartially, conduct yourselves in reverence, fear during your stay as foreigners. You know, I, I like that. It's like your little, your little vacation, your little, your little stay off in, in, in this strange and foreign world. It's like it's our temporary stay um, as foreigners. Uh, and 1 John 2.16 gives us clarity. 1 John 2.16 gives us clarity into um, how we're supposed to be in contrast to the world. Why would the world consider us foreigners and strangers? How do we do that? He describes what that world is he's talking about. Um, for all that's in the world. So what's the definition if we're strangers to the world? The desires of the flesh. Okay, those fleshly desires that are at war that tell us we're number one and we need to feed whatever passions we have, we put that to death. The desires of the eyes, you know, wanting to fill up our eyes with anything it sees um, and things that God has not given to us, and just desiring more and more, we put that to death. And the pride of life, uh, those, are, those are things that the world hangs on to and we are to put to death. All of these things, they're not from the Father, but they're from the world. And we are to be strangers to those things. Strangers to those things. Aliens. That is no longer a part of us in Christ Jesus. 1 John 2.16. Oh, sorry, I just read that. Romans 12.2. This, this takes out even further. Do not be conformed to this world. So how are we to stand in contrast? But be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Okay, next, I'm going to have some fun focusing on, uh, back in Hebrews 11, the phrase living in tents with uh, his sons. Living in tents with his sons. So, I want, to, I want to just talk about that for a little bit, what that represents, okay? In the Old Testament, tents were used by nomadic people, people on the move, okay? And if I want, to, I want to explore this idea. If I told you that I was building a house for my grandchildren's grandchildren's grandchildren, what kind of a house would you picture? So I was thinking of Wes and Mary, and Wes wasn't able to be here today, so I'm, I'm sure he'll listen online. But I was picturing them and, uh, and their noble quest to restore, and in doing so to honor, one of the oldest homes in Marlboro, Vermont. It may be, I think it's, is it the top? He, if you were here, you could vouch for it. It's, it's, it was built in the 1700s, um, and they see the value of restoring this home built in the 1700s to preserve it for many generations to come. They have been working on that house for a few months. Actually, no, a year, no, two years, years and years to restore this house. And they've been living in a, in a trailer behind the house. That, that's the value they place on restoring this home. Um, it's amazing. It's amazing what they're doing for that. But what if they were to have a big picnic next Sunday, say it's warm again, at their place, a ribbon-cutting cutting ceremony. It's done. It's finished. Come and see what we've built. And we showed up to find in its place a crudely constructed tent. We'd say they'd have more than a few spokes missing in their wagon wheels and more than a few screws would be loose. I mean, I say that anyway about Wes, but, you know, we'd really say that. 
But this tent is a metaphor for the house that we build on earth. Our efforts to live for the next life should look to the world as if we are building a mere tent on earth, a mere temporary dwelling place. I don't mean that we should not save a penny for the next genera- for our kids and stuff like that and, and just, you know, quit our jobs and live in tent communities. That's not what I'm trying to say. What am I trying to say? In Matthew 6, verses 19 to 21, we'll let, we'll let God's word speak. Matthew 6, verses 19 to 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's look at the next phrase. Heirs of the same promise. Okay, um, heirs of the same promise. I want, to, I want you to think about the covenant that we read in Genesis that God made with Abraham. You know, saying, you're going to be the father of many nations. This promised land will belong to your, your people. Um, and, and through you, the world will be blessed and um, all of that. Did God lie to Abraham? Did God lie to Abraham, who was advanced in age and whose wife was beyond childbearing years? Brian's going to, uh, at, at one point, read, the, read those details in the story um, about, about their child. Um, he'll be unpacking that later, but I'm going to spoil it for all of you. God didn't lie. Abraham became the father of the entire Jewish nation that still exists today. And what promise is given to us? And how do we become heirs of the new covenant, the new covenant that God makes with us today? I want to look at Titus 3, 4 to 7. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness. That should bring us quite a lot of joy. But according to his own mercy. According to his own mercy. Let's, Let's think of that as the glory of God. Because he's merciful. By the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that, being justified by his grace, we might become, here it is, heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We are heirs of that promise of the new covenant. The kingdom of God will be ours one day. And we will be with him. You know, as he, um, as there will be no need for the sun because he will be light there and he will have a place for us there. Abraham obeyed. This is the next phrase. Abraham obeyed. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. So I want to look at this because it's important. The stakes were really high for Abraham. You know, having to travel, you know, uh, hundreds and hundreds of miles into a land he'd never been, didn't know the way, was supposed to take it over. Uh, all of these things. Was supposed to have kids, a lot of them. Um, 
How in the world do you have the faith to take that first step and say, okay, God, I believe you. So I want to look at that. Did he obey because he looked at his bank account and had enough security laid up? He had enough of a safety net so that maybe if things didn't work out, he could come back and, and be all right? Did he look to his government and decide, they're going to protect me if I leave this land. They'll, they'll protect me on the road. Robbers won't waylay me on the road. They won't overtake me. Was he thinking that mommy and daddy would bail him out if he got into financial trouble? Was he going to a new government that was like welcoming him there and say, yes, come to our country, come to Canaan, take us over? Did he set his eyes on maybe his own strength and his own fortitude and try to man up? And that's why he went. Of course, you all know the answer is no to all of this. He was not using his eyes for sight. He was using his faith in the unseen kingdom of God. And he was straining his full attention forward. And he refused to look back. He welcomed a new city, a city not built by human hands, but one that was both designed and built by God. And I want to look at that phrase right now. Whose designer and builder is God. All right, let's talk about the pandemic. It's a fun topic. Since it started, my life has changed dramatically. Um, some, in, some in really annoying ways and some in really good ways. So since the start of the pandemic, I have gone from one house project to the next almost every day. Uh, seriously. And not small things either. Uh, so, yeah. So I've worked on house projects. I've built a large shed on my property. I've built, a, I'm still building a cabin, um, a teardrop camper, and the list goes on. I'm not saying that to, uh, to brag, but I just wanted to make a point that I've been building a lot as a result of COVID-19 and the pandemic. And home, according to Fortune.com, Home, Depot's, Home, Depot, Home Depot sales have risen 25% since the, since the pandemic. Um, and, you know... Uh, Two-by-fours have always been very cheap to build and uh, to build with. And so when I was building my cabin, I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm used to like, what, uh, $2.85, $2.85, I think is what I was used to. It was like, yeah, you just buy a two-by-four, cut it up, no problem, waste it, whatever. But I went there to build my cabin at the steep price of, I think, over five fifty for a two-by-four. Uh, and it hurts. <laughs> it adds up. It really does. Um, all because everybody is building. But in case you think that, uh, okay, let me make this point. Um, through it all, all my projects, I always, I always give my father-in-law, Ren's dad, a call because he is, a, he is an ex-farmer. He built his very own octagonal barn. He's from Peoria, Illinois. Um, octagonal barn. He's, he designed his house, big, big house, and he knows a lot. And he always tells me to call, no matter what. No matter what time, he says, call Joe anytime. I'd love to hear from you. So I always ask, ask advice. And here's something he's told me throughout. He stressed one important point. He stressed that a good builder doesn't build things perfectly. A good builder knows how to hide his mistakes. <laughs> and of course, he had to say that to me because I've made a million, billion mistakes. 
Horrible, horrible. I've got myself into jams. Just yesterday, Ren can, I can tell you the story, the horrible jam that I got myself in with concrete yesterday. Awful, awful. So, um, so the point is, a good builder can hide those mistakes and cover them up. Our greatest works on this life have hidden fixes and cover-ups to them that only the builder knows, and perhaps his wife too, or his spouse. Half of the battle is doing, in doing projects is deciding which mistakes you're going to notice every day for the next 20 years that are going to drive you crazy, so you have to fix them. And which mistakes you're going to learn to live with that almost no one would ever notice but you and probably your spouse. But God, God, God is the perfect architect and builder of that heavenly city that we look forward to. There are no mistakes that God glosses over. He has not grown weary of the place he has built for us. I want to capitalize. I'm going to take the focus off me and my mistakes here and focus on God and the perfect city that he's created. Um, John 14, 1 to 7. This is the verse I was talking about earlier when the disciples were worried um, Jesus was about to leave them. Um, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, or would I have told you that I go prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am you may be also, and you know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And you, that room that Jesus is building, that house, you're designed, church, to fit into that space. There is a space where you are perfectly designed for in heaven. You're part of the artwork. You're part of the dance, part of the movie set, part of the greatest story ever written. Whose purpose and function lived out are the lyrics to a hymn written to glorify the designer and builder, Jesus Christ. And as far as the mistakes that you make on a daily basis, those disasters, as far as those disasters you make in your life, you don't try to cover them up, right? You don't try to hide them from God. You don't have to try and fix these mistakes. Even the ones you think that you'll never be able to live with yourself, you have to fix that mistake. These sins don't require you to give 20 Hail Marys and be locked away in purgatory until you pay to have your problems fixed. You don't have to decide what sins you're going to just live with. You don't have to abandon the house project that is your faith. Your faith is not like a house that's built on the sand where storms can overtake it. The bad news is that you're a terrible builder. I'm a terrible builder, okay? (laughs) But the good news is that you're not the builder at all. In fact, you're not even allowed on the job site. That's how bad it is. God is the designer and the builder. Jesus is the author and perfecter of your faith. And he separates your sins 
your mistakes from you as far as the east is from the west. He took upon all your sins and your mistakes from the greatest to the least on the cross. That's the building we look forward to. That's a joy, isn't it? Amen? That is a joy that we are part of that faith that we don't have to cover up. We can, we can say, God, these are my mistakes. These are my shortcomings. You're the one who can cover them up. And you will separate these from as far as the east is from the west. Okay, I'm going to end. All right, I, I'm going to end, and uh, I feel a little, a little bad about this. I'm just going to hint at this, okay? It's the grand finale of Hebrews 11 that Brian has been carefully building towards for weeks and weeks. So I want you to think of this as a fireworks show. In the fireworks show that you're watching, the, suddenly the sky is illuminated with lights so bright that you have to squint your eyes, and the sound so booming it hits you in the chest, and you think, surely this is the end? But the spurt of fireworks die back down to a trickle. And you realize there's an even grander finale to come. And you can't even believe it. You have to tell someone next to you that it wasn't the finale. I can't believe it. There's more. So this is that moment. Yeah, I'm going to read it, the grand finale of, of, uh, of Hebrews. But Brian is going to get right back up and build that finale again. Okay, I can't wait. Verse 13. These all died in faith. All the people in the faith chapter. Not having received the things that were promised. They didn't get the heavenly city yet. But they saw them. But having seen them and greeted them from afar. And having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on this earth. We're not the only ones who have to acknowledge. They did too. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. And can you believe it? Can you believe it? These are all part of a glorious message that we are all a part of. Our lives, when lived by faith, or a testament to that future country, a, heaven, a heavenly one, to our citizenship there. Now let's go to Revelation. Let's go to Revelation 21. Revelation 21. I mean, this, this, these are some fireworks as well, right? This is like the, the pinnacle, and this is going to be the greatest joy that we'll have. Um, right here, the preview of it. Enjoy it. Look forward to it. Take your eyes off what's in front of you, and set them on heaven. And then you'll step out in faith. Then you'll be able to move and step out onto the water. But when you look down at the water like Peter, you're going to sink. So keep your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, the designer and builder being God, and keep your eyes on that heavenly city that it is a sure bet. It's not even a bet anymore. It's a sure thing that you will find yourself you believe in Jesus Christ and the finished work he did on the cross for you to cover over your sins and that he reigns now at the right hand of the Father, if you believe that, you will be there in glory no matter what happens around us. Exciting, right? Let's read it. The finale. Verse 1 to 6. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, 
For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. The first heaven. Well, that's why we don't put our, our hopes in, uh, in, uh, in this land, right? It's going to pass away. And I saw the holy city, the new, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from, from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. To the one who conquers will have this heritage. It is our heritage. It is our inheritance. And I will be his God and he will be my son. Amen. This morning I encourage you again. Don't look to the world for your hope. Don't look to your leaders for your hope. Even your church leaders, even your church friends, we will let you down. Guarantee it. Don't look to your government, even in Vermont, in the United States of America. Do not put your hope there. You will be let down. The only person who will not let you down is the person, the man, the God, Jesus Christ. He will not let you down, and he has built a place for you. It is waiting. It's got your name at the top of the door, a special name just for you. You will fit in there. It's a heavenly city that you put your hope in. And so when things don't work out your way, and when they do, don't let your hope rise and fall on those things. Our future is designed and built by God, not by human hands. Human hands will never be able to tear down the work of God. So even when it feels like it, even when it feels like it, you turn the news on and Ren and I have been talking about this around our country. Christian leaders, time and time again, scandals, scandals in Christian leaders, um, I don't really want to, I can't remember names right now, but uh, it doesn't really matter. If you, if you search it, you will find countless names of Christian leaders falling prey to the temptations of this world. We do not need to be, although it's heartbreaking, we do not need to be discouraged, okay? God's plan has not been thwarted. And that person's life will be redeemed if they trust in the Lord Jesus for him to bring them out of it. If you keep your eyes on heaven, on Jesus, it doesn't mean that you're going to step back from the world and be uncaring because God's eyes are on the world and he loved it so much that he would die for it. So if you think picturing the pie in the sky is going to make you not care about the world, you're wrong. It'll make you care even more. And keeping your eyes there, you will have the faith of Abraham to set out into, an, into a land that you haven't heard of. Taking your whole family with you, taking big risks, doing things that don't make sense to, to the world. 
You will become strangers to the world, but you are citizens in heaven. So let's go out with that hope. Let's be encouraged this morning. Let's look forward, not back. Okay, let's pray. Amen. Lord Jesus, I acknowledge myself as a builder that really stinks at building. Um, in my life, uh, God, I am, I am flawed. I make mistakes. I don't love you as I should or your people. But I thank you, God, that you are, you are the one who is the perfecter of my faith. I am not. And so I put my hope in you that you will change me. You will put new desires in my heart. You have done that. And I set my eyes, Lord Jesus, not on the chaotic world around me. I set my eyes on the heavenly city that has been prepared. It is ready and waiting for me. Um, and I thank you for that, Jesus. I thank you for your sacrifice that made that possible. Lord, let us as a church run the race, as a global church, run the race with endurance. And let us be strangers to this world and be okay with that. I pray that in your name, Jesus. Amen.